Hi, I'm Madhuri Krishnan, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and welcome to the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast now. We're bringing you audio of our weekly live stream, Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly, which we broadcast every week, every Monday, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Join us next week. We'll take your questions while we discuss the hottest topics in the airline industry. You can register at forum.skift.com. Hi, and welcome to Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly. I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, the editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and today we'll be talking about how airport architecture may have to evolve in the time of pandemic to react to this pandemic and to any future public health issue. I'm joined today with, by uh, Ty Osbaugh, the architecture firm Gensler's aviation lead and principal. Good morning, Ty. Good morning. Before we get started, I want to tell all our guests that you can ask questions using the chat function on Riverside on the platform here, and we'll answer them as they go as we go along. And also, please, uh, if you don't, for those of you who are listening that are not sub- subscribers, please check us out at airlineweekly.com or email us for more information on our weekly insights and analysis of the airline and airline weekly at airlineweekly.com. Ty, good morning. Morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, Thanks so, for having me. I wanted to ask you the most basic question here is um, what, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic, passenger confidence is really low and passenger traffic is really low, but there are certain things that will going forward that will be needed to sort of um, uh, allay passengers fears and the governments will institute as public health measures, health screening, et cetera. I mean, what, what are some of the architectural solutions that air, airports need to take in the near term or can take in the near term to address a public health crisis? Well, I think that you've hit on a lot of the big ones is one, we've got to build passenger confidence. And in some ways that comes from developing solutions and, and making it very, very pronounced that it's clean, that it's safe. So in some ways, step one for me is thinking about a touchless environment where the passenger's in control of his own personal space and is not really touching anything, whether that's a now really using your phone as the check-in device, uh, going through a biometric screening at TSA, potentially keeping your, your bags as you go through TSA with some sort of new technology. But giving all that freedom back to the passenger. So that's kind of step one to do that. Step two is then kind of using different sensor technologies to be able to disperse the load. You know, I, you and I have talked before about, could we start to use garages? Because uh, that seems to be the one spot that when passenger traffic is down, there's no revenue coming into the garage. So you could start to take the passenger load and disperse it into the garage. So maybe that's, maybe that's a screening check and everyone is screened before they get into the building. And that'll start to give you that confidence. Well, let's drill down a little bit on that, Ty. Um, you know, the, 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 the terminal in most U.S. airports, most airports around the world, when you pull up to it or you're dropped off at the terminal, there's not a lot of space there. I mean, you, you have the check-in counters, bag drop, and then you go through security. These are the sort of steps you need to take before right. you get to... to the the towards your gate and the the concessions etc. And the after nine eleven it was kind of de- airports had to sort of shoe in this this larger or more more robust security presence and if they have to now react to health screening and accommodate health screening 
where you know you'd mentioned parking garages is this where you see some of the health screening taking place i do i we've been reading a lot about um, somehow combining it with the tsa screening and quite honestly to us that tsa screeners are there for a specific purpose right now which is security um, trying to kind of bolt on a health screening aspect to them, whether that's temperature check or whatever that is, doesn't make any sense to us because by then you've already allowed the virus inside of the building. So if we can do it more outside and use every square foot of space and look at it more campus-wide instead of building-wide, that I think garages are, are the logical space that we can go. And it's not going to take a lot of space when you think of it. A, a parking space is 18 feet deep, you, you just take out a row of those and now you've got enough space where you can do this queue really quickly and really effectively before you let passengers into the building. So, and that that's another good point. I mean, that passengers only will be allowed into the Bikur, right? I mean, you can't, your friends and family will not be able in the ticketing area, correct? I, I think initially it would be just passengers until the process gets kind of really honed in. We saw that a lot after pre 9-11, anybody could go airside. It was just kind of a thing. And then, you know, they kind of got away from that. TSA really um, rightfully so ratcheted down the requirements to get airside. Uh, we're starting to see some airports, Pittsburgh is an example where that now you can get a pass to go airside. But that took what, 15 years after 9-11 until that level of comfort came back. I, I think it's going to be that level of comfort or that maybe not quite that duration, but that's where we're going to need to get to before we can allow non-travelers back into the, into the facilities. Huh. Um, but, you know, there, there is the question of social distance uh, on the land side of a terminal before security. There's, um, I mean, we all remember the crowds. If you go to an airport now, of course it's empty, but that's going to pick up again. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> what was that? We hope. Yeah, we hope, right? But yeah. uh, where will to accommodate? You know, I'm thinking of my home airport, SFO, and it, it's rather a narrow crescent curb and security with the, through which you have to go through um, uh, ticketing, you know, bag drop, etc. And it's generally very crowded. Would do you think that uh, one architectural or one design solution is moving check-in? itself out to the parking garage. Absolutely. I think that when you start to look at what check-in is evolving toward, and we've seen this coming for, for lots of years now, everyone has their boarding pass on their phone. Everybody ultimately where we'd love to get to is biometrics that you don't even need a phone. It's, it's your, your profile and your DNA is what's going to allow you to get through the next step in the journey. Similarly with bag drops, why couldn't we, why couldn't you drop your bag in the garage and have some sort of baggage connection back into the screening system? So at that point, and most of those functions are intended now to be more expedient and transitory where you're not, if you can do them on your own, great. That's what the airlines, the airports want is more self-serve options. So do that in the garage. And now you can take all that space that was check-in before and either you convert that into you could convert that into security or you, you could actually do security closer to the gate. You could do security in the garage so that now you can use every square foot of the terminal for, for lounging and waiting to get on the aircraft. So just trying to take that load, which was kind of 
we've always kind of used the term, it's, it's more of a barbell where you have a heavy function land side, a heavy function air side, and then you've got this clump right in the middle at TSA. If you pull those apart and kind of stretch that like a rubber band, now you've got, you've got lots of space that you can play with. Interesting. Well, you know, in this era of social distancing and something you and I've talked about before, I mean, security is another choke point. How, what are some of the solutions that, uh, besides moving them into moving TSA into the garage, which may, perhaps not all airports, what are some of the uh, passenger flow solutions, the crowding at security? Yeah, we, we, I, I've been a huge proponent of a dispersed TSA system where you could do it. Most, most terminals are one concourse, maybe multiple concourses, but you can do it in a couple of different ways. One is putting the TSAs kind of at the throats of, of each of the concourses. Now, TSA doesn't like that because they don't get the efficiency in the staffing, but if we're headed toward a biometric system, if we're headed to more of an automated system, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it, that can be done virtually anywhere. So that, that might be kind of the dipping your toe in the water solution. The really diving in the deep end would be, well, what if we just took security and put it at the boarding gate? So everything is land side until you get to the boarding gate. And the real benefit of that, as I see it, is it kind of solves the other problem that we see of crowding in airports is everybody wants to get on the, uh, the plane first. So when the flight is called, everybody's rushing up to the boarding gate. Well, in some ways, TSA and that security screening is its own metering device because you're not going to flood 30 people through that at once. It, it's got its own trickle. So if you allow that to then be part of the boarding process, now you, you've kind of dispersed that load at getting on the plane as well. So in other words, maybe one solution is a timed appointment at security? Right. Yeah, so thinking about it more of a Disney fast pass kind of strategy that says, you know, Ty, it's your time to get through security is 1120 to 1140. Mm -hmm. And you have to show up at that time. Otherwise, you're going to a different line. So using that technology in a different way. Okay. Well, you know, technology is something that we've talked about a few times, Ty. Um, and, you know, before the pandemic struck, there were um, sort of the smart airport was the the trend that was always going to happen, right? The airport of the future was yeah. the airport of the future. But there, there was some interesting um, sort of wayfinding technologies explored by airports tailored to the individual passenger arrow, virtual arrows on your phone or on the ground to show you where, where to go for your gate. Can this, can this uh, technology be used to address a public health issue? Uh, absolutely. I think anytime that you can control the message and personalize it, that's the key to fighting any threat that you've got, whether it's pandemic, security threats, but using that and actually honing in on, the, on your device itself and using that as the mechanism to guide you through uh, using this technology is, is clearly uh, a big step forward. It, it, but it, quite honestly, and I, I'm kind of glass half full at this point. We were talking to one of our clients the other day um, who's now got a opportunity. He said, I'm never going to have this few passengers in my terminal again. I might as well take down my Wi-Fi system and rebuild it. Right now, while the impact is fairly low, mm -hmm. this as an airport is the perfect time to think about this sensor technology then kind of spreading that across, putting in this infrastructure to build the backbone now so that when the passenger comes back, 
we can create the passenger experience that we want instead of kind of band-aiding it like we've been doing for the past 15 to 20 years. What, what, what's involved in the install? Could you, do you... It, there's a company out of Pittsburgh called Zensers, mm-hmm. and there, there's a lot of them, but Zensers is one that we've been talking to. And it's essentially just putting points in the ceiling that, that kind of monitor whatever you want, whether it's passenger volumes or whatever it becomes. And then you kind of create a heat map. Heat map's probably not the, no pun intended with heat map, but it's kind of a, a passenger dispersion map that then can start to inform passengers that says, okay, well, you know, I'm going to fly out of gate 10 and it, all these devices in the ceiling are telling me there's a ton of people at gate 10, but gate seven, which is only about a 20 minute or may call it 200 feet away. There's nobody in there. So I'm going to tell my family, let's just go to gate seven and let's yeah. sit there stay away from the crowd until it's time to board. Well, this is where I was going with some of these questions. Um, the two other choke points I can think of. So once you've gone through, passengers gone through security, or they've cleared a number of choke points in the airport, and then they get to the. They've got some. T- there's some time to kill. There's food and beverage and shop, retail concessions. Right. That's one choke. You know, sort of potential area for crowding, and the other is the gate hold area. But let's start with the. the I mean, how how what are some of the design solutions or even technologies to ease the crowding at the. Well, I think that we're going to see a lot more grab and go. I think it's going to be a lot more self-serve. I think when we first opened JetBlue's T5, we had a salad bar. Unfortunately, that was wonderful for the times, but I don't I don't see that coming back anytime soon. So I, I think that some of that is is now going to be repurposed somehow. I think that there's going to be kind of an Amazonization, if I can coin that term. Um, a lot of your shopping that you're going to do is not going to be in bricks and mortar within the airport. You're going to almost get a, a sensor or some sort of screen system that says, okay, I want to buy something from Toomey. And I go through the list and then I say that, and then there's a central warehouse somewhere within the terminal itself that then moves that item up to an, a locker. And then you go and, and pick it out from there. So taking all that space on the passenger level that was a combination of food and beverage, retail, and passenger waiting, now it's going to be more passenger waiting with all the storage and all the product at a lower level that then is just brought to you. And then I I guess, in theory, you would have the option once you get that product to make your, your determination, yeah, I want this, and then you pay for it with your Apple Pay, and off you go. Wow, so curbside pickup for airport retail. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. And this is something that's actually being discussed right now, or is it? Uh... Uh, some of our uh, concession partners are starting to look at that mm-hmm. and think about ways that the big downfall is that it's a huge load on the storage areas right. in terminals. And it's kind of thinking about this as more of a sea change moment that we're going to have to start thinking about terminal design uh, and what used to be kind of a, a flat program, now we're going to have lots more more peaks, and we're going to have to be a lot more flexible so that these warehouse spaces can be sprinkled throughout. And I don't have the answer yet. It's more of a theory, but I, that's what I'm I'm thinking is the way that we're going to see it go in the near term. Huh. And the other choke point is the the gate hold area, and that's that's always been sort of a source of pain for airlines anyway where do you put 300 people and how many how can you for it some airports do it very well some don't 
but uh, there there is just there there is a, mil, a lot of milling about. There's a lot of crowding. I know. I mean, airlines are obviously experimenting with all sorts of different ways of boarding their aircraft now, and th- that will have a, a huge bearing on the gate hold areas. But what are what are some of the design ideas that the airports themselves design? and technology solutions, the airports themselves can optimize crowding it. I think what we're starting to see is a lot more, and it's kind of the the model that Southwest was trying for a while, and it's a little bit of hybrid, I guess, is to start to think about less seating and more of a a high bar that you're standing against. Mm -hmm. So take the area per square, typically the way that we plan terminal is about 15 square feet per passenger, for a seated passenger and 10 square feet per passenger for a standing passenger. So if you could now do more standing and kind of just resting, think about being at your neighborhood bar where you just kind of lean against the bar and that's how you'll you'll now wait for your aircraft instead of being lounging in two seats because no one ever sits side by side in in these tandem seats. So it's always kind of this hybrid model. So I would see that that is the way that we're going to, one, spread them out. And then two, I, we're talking to a lot of airlines about doing concierge service for the reason that a lot of the airlines believe, and I, I would tend to agree with it, that they get crowding at the gate is because people are rushing to get into the overhead bins. So they can then start to monetize that service so that, you know, if you pay an extra $2 for, for your ticket, you're going to get your carry-on bag and the airline's going to put it above your seat beforehand. So think about now you could potentially in in this kind of Jetsonian world that I think we ultimately might get to, you'd have an automated pod that's with you at TSA. Your bag gets through screening. It then gets put in the pod and that pod then delivers it directly to the gate where you can go and just lounge somewhere else uh, on the air side and rest assured that then your bag is going to be loaded into your overhead bin for you. Now you can, you could be the last one on board. You don't care. There's, there's no need to rush and be the first one in there. Do you think we'll ever, I mean, this just occurred to me. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where, is this even a near term possibility where you have a designated boarding time, the the airport and the airline work together and designate boarding time and your phone pings you to say you have 10 minutes, your boarding time is in 10 minutes. You know, Utah Osbos boarding time is 10 minutes. Absolutely. I, I, in some ways, and, you know, you and I have talked before about Heathrow and the UK model. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of, that's a call to gate scenario where they'll, you don't even know what gate you're going to be at until 45 minutes, maybe an hour beforehand. And then you start to matriculate to your gate. Well, why couldn't you? It, but that's done for a retail perspective and it's really successful. But why couldn't you do that everywhere? If you could somehow develop these great uh, lounge zones on the air side, instead of now dispersing everyone to the gate right away and where we all rush to gate 10, well, what if I stayed in this great environment, kind of like the Changi Jewel on the, on the air side? If you built one of those, people want to hang out there. And then when it's time to go, okay, now, now I just go. All right. So, um, you know, we've talked about the sort of near and medium term thing, solutions that uh, air, airports can take to to react to this pandemic. Um, there, but this if, if nothing else, this pandemic has taught us that uh, there, there will be other health 
crises. Yeah. Other situations where we'll have to socially distance or we'll have to react, change the way we behave. Um, airport architecture in the hundred years since the, well, the hundred years of commercial aviation was a time <laughs> of no pandemics, right? Yeah. Uh, book ended by 1918 and now. Um, and airport architecture grew up in that time period, but will have to change going forward. Um, now, you and I have spoken about the, the, for most U.S. airports, they're hemmed in on the air side by parking facility or on the land side by parking facility, obviously, airfield. Um, and they tend to be two levels, check-in check in and baggage claim. Right. Longer term, what are, some of the, what are some of the architectural for crowd control, for spacing people out, and just to make... I think you, you've kind of laid the criteria out perfectly that we're in a unless you're building a greenfield terminal, and I'll speak primarily for a US-based mm -hmm. uh, practice, right? The, it's interesting to think about the last uh, greenfield terminal that we built in the US was Denver, right. and that's the early 90s. So that it's been 30 years since we've done anything completely from scratch. Everything else that the US has done is kind of hemmed in by a lot of different networks and a lot of pressures. So if you think about it as a balloon, the only when you start to squeeze the edges on that balloon, that pressure's got to go up or down. Well, we're not going to get dig down. That doesn't make any sense for a passenger terminal. So really where we're going to me is we're going to add levels to the buildings. So we're going to start to see almost I could I could write you a scenario where a domestic travel, which is right now on essentially inbound and outbound is on one level. I think we're going to start to see that become more of a international arrival sequence where there's an outbound floor and an inbound floor. So you're not crossing passenger traffic, which the CDC says is one of the big um, transmission things is when you're passing. So as, if the flow is now in one direction and you're adding a level to the building, I think that's step one. I think you could take it a step further and then say, well, what if, what if you really stretch it out and add a couple levels to the building? So instead of, it gives you that pressure relief valve going up instead of trying to kind of jam everything into the plan of the building, now use the section of the building to really grow it. So in other words, every function of this, of the check, the travel process will have a different floor? Potentially. Mm -hmm. And it, when you start to look at, because we don't know, it's just like you had mentioned earlier, about 9-11. When 9-11 came, it was on typically, or the security screening was on the same floor as the check-in. Well, there, there's nothing that says that those functions have to be side by side or in the same level. Mm -hmm. So now if you start to peel those up from each other, if you start to then slide them, then they each function has the ability to expand as it needs to, because that's what we're going to need in the future is just complete flexibility because you're right, we don't know what the next pandemic, we don't know what the next security threat is coming in 15 to 20 years. So we've got to have facilities that are resilient enough to be able to handle that. Well, how does that work for an existing airport? I mean, like, like we were saying, you know, they're hemmed in by parking and by the airfield. And, you know, they're, they're, I can see for new terminals, yes, they're, they're, they can be conceived from the, get, from the sheet of paper as multi-level uh, facilities, but what what do you do with say like SFO Terminal Two or the um, Concourse C in Dulles? Like how 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 do you how do you how, how yeah. do you design that? <laughs> so 
I, I've been looking a lot recently. There was a project that uh, another architecture firm, Populous, had done. I think it's Populous. might be, I'm probably throwing, it may not be Populous, at, at the U.S. Open, uh, the Arthur Ashe Stadium. And what they did is that they had the existing bowl, and then they built a roof over top of it with these massive columns that came up, and then they created a, a roof plane. To me, What's interesting is if you were to do something similar with that, you could potentially put in new foundations outside of the existing terminals. You could build new floors kind of independent of these kind of think of it as a, as an umbrella that's being put over top of an existing facility. And then you just kind of poke up through and link everything back together. So it's an engineering solution, which could have huge architectural benefits. And then how, I mean, let's, uh, let's, you know, we've, we've got limited time here, but how, how um, as you think these things through, I mean, I know you, you think of how the human interacts with the space and, um, you know, for a hundred years or however, let's say, let's say 50 years, let's call it, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. we, particularly U.S. passengers have been conditioned to just pulling up to the curb and drive, you know, walking across one level, essentially through multiple checkpoints and choke points to their aircraft. If you think of an airport like Frankfurt or Schiphol or Changi, you know, or, or du Dubai, you're, you're going up and down levels constantly to, to you go through that tunnel, the sad tunnel where you see all the retail and people eating and you're, you're, you're trapped on the other side of the glass and you go up to passport yeah. control or whatever, you know. So how, how do you think the U.S. passenger will adapt to, to this kind of radical change of the airport experience? Well, I, to me, it, and I, I've said this before in some other presentations I've given, I, I'm a huge Aero Saarinen fan. I, I think that in some ways, and that a lot of his work was 1960s, early 60s. And some of it was so revolutionary that it's almost poignant again today that I could write a scenario where if we could get the technology to work well enough, with autonomous vehicles and screening within those autonomous vehicles. It could very well be what you're describing that you drive up to the airport, maybe in one autonomous vehicle or in your private vehicle, you then get in a separate pod that is then able to navigate you through the terminal. Uh, it's already screening you because it's got the technology built into it that can do these vertical moves where you're not, you're just along for the ride at that point. So. Think of it as more of a roller coaster, kind of Disney ride that gets you from curb to gate and then potentially directly onto your plane. I think, and this may be 20, 30 years out, but I think that that's where we're going to get to is a really personalized journey that could be within this kind of self-contained pod that, that really would change the dynamic of how we, we move around. What we lose is the human interaction, but... We'll have to figure that out as we go. Right. I'll be retired by then, so that'll be good. <laughs> we'll all be like his boy Elroy, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the, that's a Jetsons reference for some, those of uh, um, those of you <laughs> listening who are younger than Ty and me. Look it up. Um, Ty, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. And um, this will be this will be available on airlineweekly.com later today, um, and will be redistributed as a podcast later in the week. 
And once again, for those of you who do not subscribe, please um, check us out at airlineweekly.com or send us an email to airlineweekly at airlineweekly.com. And you can always send me feedback at mu at skiff.com. Ty, thank you very much. Thank you.